I had a lot of fun last week editing and putting all of the like funny stuff that would normally kind of get cut out for the sake of time and putting it at the end of our episode, plus mm-hmm. your blooper about Facebook, which cracked me up every <laughs> single time I heard it. So I'm going to do that again this week. Awesome. So for any listeners, you know, our music plays at the end. And if you haven't already cut it off because you're tired of hearing about our social media, then that's when you cut it off. Don't because there's funny shit coming after that. Welcome to Crime Crazy, the weekly true crime podcast with Erin Plyme and Diana Seacon, where we prove that we know nothing about our legal system, but we're still crazy for a good true crime story. Yay! Welcome to Crime Cozy, Diana. <gasps> crime Cozy! This is our third Crime Cozy episode. It is. Which I- is weird, because I feel like we were just sitting right here going, what are we going to call it? Uh... <laughs> <laughs> and then... And then... And I just looked at the calendar. There are five Tuesdays in October, so it's extra cozy. Excellent. So I know what I'm doing for my last one. I got that down. Me too. But I don't know what I'm doing for the next one. Nope. Thought the next one was the last one. I did too. (laughs) (laughs) I am both thrilled and upset with October for having an extra Tuesday. Should we tell them what else we're going to do extra in October? I I think we should. Well, actually, it's not in October, though. I suppose, technically. It will be November 1st. Barely. Well, yes. It will barely be November 1st. (laughs) Actually... To tell the truth, I always publish them at like 11.44 because then I only have to change the time and not the date on mm-hmm. the schedule because I'm real lazy. Hey. Um, so it technically, it technically will probably drop in October. Yes. Go for it. So we are going to be doing a very special episode. Yes. That will drop on November 1st. Yep. Extra episode right on the wrong day of the week. Absolutely. And I don't want to give anything away. No. But we are going to talk about some crime. That Obviously. Is likely to happen. Yeah. And why it's really important to go vote the next week. Yes. This is our attempt at making our democracy better and stronger through podcasting. <laughs> Absolutely. So if you if you haven't figured it out yet, we're we're fairly liberal. Yeah, so if you like Trump, you might want to skip this one. I'd skip that November 1st episode if I were you. Yeah. Um, But I am excited about recording it. I think it's going to be a much different kind of episode. Yeah. Um, but I bet we can still we can still make it pretty crazy. Yep, absolutely. We're pretty good at that. We are Mostly pretty good at that. Friends. Well, you knew what you were getting into. It's true. <laughs> Diana, did you learn anything this week? I did. What did you learn? <laughs> Every week it's, shit, what did I learn? Wait, we can't start recording your camera. <laughs> Not Diana, it's always me. This week I'm like, I know what I learned. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so I did learn something this week. I thought this was just fun. I was listening to an episode of No Such Thing as a Fish. Yes, you've talked about that before. Yeah, you should listen to it. It's yeah. fantastic. It's four comedians that, I think they're comedians. I guess I don't actually know. It's four people. <laughs> I mean, are they funny? 
They are funny. While they're talking? Yes. I think that's what a comedian is. Okay, but I don't know that that's like how they make their living. Oh, okay. But it's four people that get together. Um, it's a British podcast, and they talk about their favorite things that they learned that week. Uh-huh. So one of the favorite things that they learned, I don't actually remember what it was, but it was something about the yeoman warders. The yeoman warders are the people that are in charge of guarding the Tower of London. They're called beef eaters. Oh, okay. Okay. That That is the name by which I would recognize. Them. Yes. Yeah. So um, they guard the Tower of London. Their original kind of charter was to guard the crown jewels. Okay. Now it's more of a ceremonial role. They're the ones that right. give the tours at the tower. That everyone always makes fun of and gets in their faces and tries to make them laugh. No, nope. obnoxious. No, those are the guards at like Buckingham Palace. Totally different. Oh, yeah. Never mind. Yep. Um, different kind of order, I think. But don't quote me on that. You're thinking the guys in the Busbies. Beef eaters mm. are different. Beef eaters have kind of the Elizabethan style costume. Gotcha. Um, and they're mainly tour guides at the Tower of London. They know the entire history. They can answer That's all your cool. questions. They all live there. That's part of the deal is Ooh. they live at the Tower of London. That's cool. There's a bar in the Tower of London that's only for yeoman orders and their guests and families. Mm-hmm. It's actually a really cool job. One of them, of course, is the Raven Master, uh, keeping the, the ravens at the Tower of London. So they were talking about uh, kind of the history of the Beefeaters and, and how this all came to be. And Henry VII, who was uh, the first of the Tudor kings, created the role of yeoman warder in 1485. But it was more of a, I don't know how to describe it. They did a really good job. It was a job that you got put into when you weren't good at anything else, but then you could sell it to somebody else when you were tired of it. And so there weren't like really good records capped. Okay. So in the late 1700s, they decided this shit needs to stop. They kind of reorganized everything. Mm-hmm. And that's the kind of the modern beef eater program, if you will. And since the inception of that program, there have been about 400 beef eaters total. Oh, since the 1700s? Since the late 1700s, about 400. 400. Right now, there are, I think, 37 serving at the tower. Oh, wow. Yeah. Which means there have been more people in the world that have gone to space than have been a beef eater. Oh, my gosh. There have been 536 human beings in space, but only about 400 beef eaters. Man. Hmm. So so you're more likely more to go likely. to space <laughs> than to be a yeoman warder. Well, unless we can take in personal preference, in which case the idea of going to space terrifies me so bad. Oh, I don't know. Oh, and I just don't even like to think about it. It's It just absolutely terrifies me. I think the getting there would be problematic, but the view. Hmm. You're not attached to anything anymore. Yeah. Yeah, I don't like that. You're like, yeah, that sounds great. I'm like, no, no, never. (laughs) Uh Uh-uh. Not a thing. So that's what I learned. Awesome. Yeah. That's cool and fun. I thought it was. Mine is lighthearted, too. Excellent. So what did you learn this week? I learned. Oh, God, I hope you don't know this. I learned about loofah sponges. Do you know about loofah sponges? I know they make my feet smoother. uh Uh-huh. Where do they come from? They're sponges. From? Like the ocean. 
No. What? No. They oh. are not. I'm so excited because that's what I thought too. Um, so it turns out loofah sponges are from a viney plant that produces gourd-like fruit. And then the fruit dries out naturally on the vine. And then you can soak it and peel away like the husk. Mm-hmm. And inside it seeds and a loofah sponge. No shit. Oh my, <laughs> oh my God. God. It's incredible. I will have to post the, there was a, a Facebook video. Oh, it was some sort of little, um, like a cool science things I learned or something mm-hmm. like that. Oh yeah. Send that. I'll post it. Um, because yeah. So it turns out that these giant cucumber looking things and it makes sense once you see a picture of them side by side it makes sense and now i'm like scrambling to find one so i can show it to you (laughs) here that is what a loofah comes from so it's it looks very much like a squash like a summer squash or a giant zucchini right kind of a brownie yellowy Mm -hmm. squash yep and when it's done growing you know how Things dry out so they can drop their seeds and whatever else. Right. It does. And you chop off both the ends. Um, they soak them and then they peel away that husk. And then you have the loofah sponge. But if you look at the inside. That's crazy. And then right? and then that's where I don't understand sometimes with, uh, I don't know if this is an achievement, but with discoveries like this where like somebody looked at that, they dried it out, they're going to use the seeds next year and they're like, you know... I bet I'd be extra smooth if I rubbed that on myself. Right. <laughs> right. Well, so the the video follows, it's this guy that's explaining it, and he, he owns like a loofah farm, essentially. Um, <laughs> he, uh, I would like to own a loofah, a loofah farm. farm. With my new llama shirt? Yes. Or was that an alpaca shirt? That might have been alpaca. an alpaca. I think it was alpaca. Uh, so he apparently had always been into gardening and grew everything and his wife brought home a gourd and when they planted it, lo and behold, they were loofahs and he was like, well, this is cool. And now they own like acres oh my gosh. of loofahs and it, it's this big viney plant that grows insanely fast. So he says he has to go out and trim all the time or it's like six or seven feet a week that wow. it grows. But if you look at the inside of the loofah. It's totally, it's like a tomato. It's totally a seed pod. It totally is. And it's, I've noticed that like when I've had a real loofah, yeah. I just figured that was how nope. it ma- grew or was made or, oh my gosh, that's so cool. Right? So the other thing that he was saying is they had one that they used for washing dishes. Mm-hmm. And because it's all a plant and like it's, it naturally is able to suck all of its moisture out and create that inner part. Like they don't have to do anything like cure it or whatever else. Like they just have to take the husks off and is that texture. Wow. Um, And so it doesn't allow moisture to stay in it. And so it doesn't get moldy like a sponge would. Right. Um, And so they used one that was like a dishwashing sponge for a whole year and he's holding it up. He's like, this is what we wash dishes with. It looks just like they just picked it. Wow. Right. I need a loofah plant just to provide myself with loofahs. And because it's amazing. We should do that. So, yes, not a sea sponge at oh, all. I had no idea. I totally thought they were a sea sponge. I did, too. And I'm so excited because I was afraid that you knew and that it was not going to be so exciting. <laughs> no, I didn't Because I showed you. David and he was like, what? Wait, what? And yeah. I even, after watching it, I was like, okay, let me just double check with a few more sources before I go out and say this. Right. People. Totally a plant. That's fantastic. Right. All right, so now if I totally fuck up my story, at least my thing I learned was great. That was that was amazing. <laughs> You've won today. Okay, good. Because <laughs> I have no idea how this next part. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so uh, 
um, I was trying to think again for our our crime cozy about things that I might be afraid would happen. Mm-hmm. And it occurred to me, where I used to live, we locked doors at night, but never when we left. Um, and really, we didn't always lock doors at night. Like, mm-hmm. every year we locked them more and more, but often didn't. Here, just because it's a new place, even though I think my neighborhood is probably one of the safest places ever, we, we lock the doors all the time. Mm-hmm. Always lock them when I'm home. We had talked about on one of the episodes about, although I don't, I don't know that it got left, the whole conversation got left in, but about like, if you're home alone, why aren't you locking the door, blah, yep. blah, blah. So I thought, home invasion murders. Mm. That's a scary thing. Mm-hmm. And like, it is always the thing that happens to every nice little old lady on every crime drama ever. Well, and it's the thing that when you're trying to murder somebody, you try to make it look like a home invasion gone wrong. Right, right. So I thought, well, I'm going to look this up because I just I've never heard of it happening to anyone. And the stories I've heard from the other side. So like Sophie's mom and her birth dad and all of their crimes that you do in order to support your drug habit kind of things. Um, there was they they did a lot of breaking and entering and that. kind. Of, there was never a physical part of that. Right. So I found a story. And then I found some statistics. And my story is the Clutter Family Murders. Mm. Which I feel like, because it has a name, like the Clutter, Clutter. Family Murders. Clutter, <laughs> yeah. Well, that, I mean, A, that's kind of funny to go rob their house. It's not. But also, like, I should have known it. Like, it sounds like right. they've made it, but I didn't know it. So. I kind of want to imagine their house as being, like, one of those very spare, very Minimalist. white, very clean. Yes. <laughs> like, I think you'd have to. <laughs> or you just lean right in. <laughs> right, right. Either way. Buy every like, goddamn tchotchke there is. Put them everywhere. everywhere. <laughs> Be like, what did you expect? You right. knew where you were coming. Clutter. It's in right. the name. My, my name is not even actually Clutter. It's just the Clutter House. Right. <laughs> we actually took the, much like the uh, the Queen, we took our name from the home. <laughs> right. Not the other not way Not the around. other way around. <laughs> So, the Clutter family murders. Now that we've made fun of their name, they're going to die. I feel like if they have not already died, um, mean, like they, in theory, if you're talking about them, they are, they are indeed already dead. Oh, yes. Yeah. Well, plus this was like the 50s. Oh, yeah. I wasn't even alive yet. Me neither. All right, so even though this story is about the Clutter family murders, it's actually going to start with Richard Eugene Hickok. And I always want to say Hitchcock, but Mm -hmm. it's not. It's Hickok, (laughs) which is great. And Perry Edward Smith. And they were prison roomies. Aww. Right? So cute. So prison is like crime you, of course. And Mm -hmm. that's exactly how they did it. Do you get an alumni t-shirt after that? (laughs) <laughs> sort of or what like one of those license plate surrounds right. <laughs> depending on what you went in for you can even get like a dot on a map <laughs> so um while they were in the prison they heard from another prisoner about this man named herb clutter uh they heard that he was very very wealthy and that he had a safe in his home that contained ten thousand dollars in cash always Ooh. full of cash Super easy target. You know, if you ever get the chance, you just, he'd be real easy. Okay. So they decided, uh, yeah, that's what we're going to do. When we get out of prison, we're going to get together. We're going to go. We're going to break into this guy's house, middle of the night, and we're going to rob him. 
So immediately after being released from prison, they drew up all the plans and figure out how they were how this robbery was going to go down. They went to the Clutter home, which was in Holcomb, Kansas. There were six people in the Clutter family, but the night that they went, um, there were four people at home. So two of the children were out elsewhere, and I couldn't find whether they were older and had already moved out or mm-hmm. whether they were like spending the night at a friend's or whatever. But it's sort of I I don't know whether it's more or less tragic that two of them weren't home. Yeah. So they went into the house. They looked around. Um, they Everyone was asleep. They didn't wake anybody up right away. Like, they were very quiet, um, which is unusual. And we'll talk about that at the end with, like, yeah. stats and all of that. But most burglaries do not take place in the middle of the night. Nope. We're not early, a thing. Early morning. Right. Well, and actually, not even early morning. Really? Really. I have a different, I have a different time frame for Ooh. you. Yeah. So they look around, there is no safe. And it becomes apparent really early, like there, there is no safe. It's not that it's well hidden, it's that it doesn't exist, this guy lied. So they go and they wake up Herb Clutter, the father. And he's terrified because there are these two criminals in his house trying to rob him. And so he gives them all the money he has on him. He's like, there's nothing else here. Like, take whatever you want. Like, I'm not going to put up a fight. I just don't have anything else. They're like, well, where's the safe? There is no, there's not a safe. There's not even an empty safe. There's no safe. Right. So then they go around and they wake up everybody else in the family and they search the house again and they confirm that actually there is no safe. No one will tell them where it is because it doesn't exist. So they go throughout the entire house, tear it apart. They find about $50, a pair of binoculars and a transistor radio. And that is all there is to take. Wow. Yeah. They're very mad and they're in a little bit of denial. And even though they didn't find the safe and everyone in the family says there's no safe and they've been threatening their lives and they, you know, there hasn't been a whole lot of other great stuff around. They're like, but there still must be a safe. And so they get really, really pissed and they execute all four family members. When police get there later, Herb Clutter, who was almost 50 at the time, was on a mattress in the basement. He had been stabbed, his throat had been slashed, and he'd been shot in the head with a shotgun. Oh, my God. He was still in his pajamas. His hands were tied. His mouth was taped. So, some torture going on. Never gave the answers they wanted. Tied him up, searched his house. Got Uh. mad. Overkill. On a couch in the next room in the basement was the 15-year-old son, who was also bound and gagged and shot in the head. In the upstairs bedrooms, all in separate bedrooms because they separated each of the family members, they found Bonnie May Clutter, who was the mom. She was 45. Nancy May Clutter, who was 16. And uh, Mrs. Clutter was tied up and gagged. Nancy was tied up but not gagged. And both of them had also been shot in the head. The police managed to find, I mean, this was uh, 1958, I think, but like 1950s, late Mm -hmm. 1950s. Um, So there wasn't a ton of like forensic science going on. We're not going to test for DNA or anything like that. We don't even know about that yet. We don't have any clue. (laughs) Uh, They did discover a bloody footprint and they took photographs of it. And also of a tire track that the murder they believed the murderers left. And they did determine that the bloody footprint was not from anyone in the family because they were all in their pajamas, not wearing shoes. Yeah. Um, and so probably one of the murderers. Eventually it turns out to be Smith's footprint, but I don't think it really matters. So they search for 
quite a while for these murderers who are now on the run. So they fled to Kansas City. Hickok wrote a bunch of checks that were not able to be cashed because there was no (laughs) money because there had been no save and had to get out of town. So they decided they were going to go to Mexico and they did. Uh, And they lived there for a little while. That's where they sold the radio and the binoculars for, I guess, (laughs) a little (laughs) tiny bit of money. Um, I don't know. In the 50s, those would have been high end items. Yeah, I guess so. Not $10,000 in a safe, though. No, no. No. They then hitchhiked through California. They were headed to Nebraska. They eventually made it to Omaha. Um, Then they went to Iowa. And then they went back to Kansas City. They went to Florida. They went to Nevada. Nevada. They basically toured the entire, like, North America. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And it was not until the very last day of 1959 that anyone caught them. And the way they were caught is a... Once the police had put together sort of all of the evidence and the shoe print and whatever else and who could these be, uh, Floyd Wells, who was the one. So in another article I read, they talked about Floyd Wells, and I'm pretty sure that he is the one who originally told the pair about the safe. Mm -hmm. So he ratted them out. There was at this point some reward money and he was like, well, I'm going to get on get in on that. Let me tell you who you're looking for. And they they found him now. His story didn't end well either since he started this whole thing. He actually ended up later in a totally unrelated event being killed in an attempted prison break. Oh, man. Yeah. So I just didn't know how to keep a low profile, did he? No. (laughs) No. Nobody in this is terrible. Well, I mean, they're criminals. But nobody's terribly smart. I feel like we've covered some, like, really intelligent criminals. Mm. These are not them. No. Not them. So when they were eventually caught, um, they had stolen a car in Iowa, and they were still driving it. They also, Smith was still wearing the same boot that left the bloody boot print. And so, you know, real easy to match. Also, once a shoe has been bled on, it's it's dead to me. What? <laughs> also true. Also true. So March 29th, 1960 was when they were convicted and sentenced to death. So for five years, they were on death row uh, before eventually being hanged in 1965, April 14th. Oh, my God. We were still doing that? Yup. Oh. Yup. It's horrifying. So Hickok died first at 12.41 a.m. and Smith at 1.19 a.m. Smith had some last words for everybody. He was really upset that he was being put to death. Fair. Fair. <laughs> and I'm I'm sad because I really agree with his last words. And I know he was a bad dude who murdered a family because they didn't have what a criminal said they had. Like Yeah, don't trust No, but but <laughs> consider the source. But he said, I think it is a hell of a thing that life has to be taken in this manner. I say this especially because there's a great deal I could have offered society. I certainly think capital punishment is legally and morally wrong. Any apology for what I have done would be meaningless at this time. I don't have any animosities toward anyone involved in this matter. I think that is all. And then they hanged him. I mean, guy's right. Right. I can't do anything to make it up. Death penalty, not cool. That's pretty much it. I mean, and and I'm not pissed that you sent me to jail. I totally did these things. Yeah. Um, Hickok, he 
his only comment was, you're sending me to a better place than this. And then he added, he also didn't hold any grudge against, and actually he spoke first, so mm. I guess really Smith said he also didn't have a grudge, but Hickok said he didn't hold any grudge against the people who, th so the lead agent was Agent Roy Church, so specifically against Church, but also anyone who helped arrest them. And then he shook hands all around and said goodbye, and they hanged him. Wow. Um, their final meal, in case you are wondering, was spiced shrimp, french fries, garlic bread, ice cream, and strawberries with whipped cream. And they both had a, they ate in separate rooms. They were being hanged on the same day, but they had their own separate chaplain and their own separate like last meal, although they apparently ate the same thing. <laughs> Smith was not a religious man and had asked for no words to be spoken over him, mm -hmm. but the chaplain felt like he needed to get some words in anyway. So he, the 23rd Psalm was read for Hickok, who was the one that was put to death first. Um, and then Smith the the chaplain apparently sort of under his breath said the lord giveth the lord take the way blessed is the name of the lord may the lord have mercy on your soul and then he later told um other people that were standing around or the press or somebody that he had asked for that smith had specifically asked for nothing to be said over him he's like yeah well i kind of cheated a little bit <laughs> come on so that is one instance of i think probably one of the more common worst nightmares like way I think I might die. Right. And I know I certainly, even after this, I probably will still feel the same way that when it's dark and I'm in my house by myself or it's just me and my kids, like my heart still beats a little faster and I still double check the doors mm -hmm. and I still would rather have the lights on. Mm -hmm. Every time I am downstairs by myself at night. Yeah. Um, we've got blinds and in all of that, except on the kitchen door. And we don't have anything on the kitchen door because it's pretty and Jeff likes it. And when we redid the kitchen, I was going to make a curtain to cover it. And he's like, oh, don't right. do that. It's pretty. And for the most part, it doesn't bother me until I'm, you know, downstairs eating ice cream at midnight. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and sometimes I go into the living room because nobody can see you in there. <laughs> right. Well, so I looked up some stats and I think you're going to feel pretty good about this. They're going to start a little scary. Okay. Um, actually, I'm going to start with an interesting fact that I didn't know because when I first went to research this, like I decided what I wanted my topic to be before I found a crime. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, okay, home invasion murder statistics. So it turns out home invasion is not a legal term in most states. Hmm. There's no such thing as a home invasion. There is burglary there is robbery there is breaking and entering but that really usually applies to public places mm -hmm. um but just going into someone's home not not a thing wouldn't it be like just trespassing uh maybe trespassing uninvited right but if you don't go and do something like it, it's just there's there's no way to search the stats because they're not categorized in that way gotcha okay so most of the stats that i have are kind of adjacent <laughs> but have to do with it so scary stat a property crime happens every four seconds however property crimes include a lot of things that are not home invasion and mm -hmm. certainly not violent a burglary occurs every 20 seconds so there are lots of burglary statistics like one every 20 seconds is a burglary statistic but 
those don't involve even any physical contact necessarily. Okay. Right. Like if I right now say, give me your watch and you feel intimidated and you give it to me and then I give it back because it's an Apple watch and I'm not a big fan of Apple. <laughs> um, <laughs> Love my Apple watch. You have been burgled, but you have not been hurt. Right. I've been wounded. By my friend. Well, that too. <laughs> You'll never be able to trust me ever again. Um, so home invasions, if we were to classify anybody going into anybody else's house with the intent of doing some crime, we could say that there are probably between 94 and 2010 um, an average of about a million a year. Okay. Which is significant. It is, but there's 300-odd million people. True. And also, only in, I think it's three out of every 10 cases, is there even anybody in the building that's Mm -hmm. being robbed. So the thing about people who intend to rob or burgle, which is so much fun to say and now sounds meaningless. (laughs) So violence is only used 7% in 7% of burglaries. Wow. Okay. So there, there's a burglary every 90 seconds, but only 7% of them, there's any violence at all. Of those, guns only used in, they only even have a gun 12% of the time. Wow. So it's just not the case that people who are robbing houses come with any sort of plan for if there's a person in the house, what am I going to do? Their plan is usually, I'm going to run away. Right. I'm going to keep my face concealed so I can't get in trouble and I'm going to leave. Like, they don't want to add that. That's not what they're there for. Right. Um, of all of these, 65% of the 12% of the 7% of <laughs> oh the God. whatever, um, 65% of them are people who know the person who's stealing from them. Mm. So it's not like a stranger broke into your house. It's your... Your druggy you know, cousin. Yes. Yeah. And you knew that that was, you know, they had a key or whatever else. Right. Um. So they're... I don't want to insinuate that drug users are criminals i know but i think that they often go hand in hand because depending on what kind of drugs you're using holding down a job is very challenging right and the drugs are very addicting yeah and at some point you run out of legal options to continue to supply your drug habit right and it does seem to be that you you know start at home first right right oh absolutely yeah yeah So I looked at a bunch of different statistics trying to determine, like, how many people got murdered in these situations. And it sounds like even just from those numbers that it has to be impossibly small. Mm -hmm. I saw one thing and I couldn't find it anywhere else to, like, corroborate it. But that said that there had been in, like, the past 10 years, no burglaries turned homicide. Wow. There have been homicides where burglary also occurred, but the homicide was either the intended thing that they went like that was their primary focus or it was, you know, part of the plan or they um, it, it, it wasn't like they got surprised. They got and they surprised the and then they killed you. Right. They injure people sometimes if they have a gun, maybe. The interesting thing about that is that I've been watching this new, it's not a new series, it's new to me on, well, it's relatively new, on Netflix called I'm a Killer. Okay. Have you heard of this? Uh -uh, Of course I haven't. 
It's, I know, but it's so fun. You're missing out. They have oh so many true crime documentaries. <laughs> and like sort of documentaries. This one is, uh, they interview each episode. They go through a case of somebody on death row. And they get their side of the story, which sometimes is, yeah, I did that and I don't care. And sometimes it's like, well, yeah, I was totally there and I take responsibility, but like, I really don't think I deserve to be here. It's all over the map. And then they interview their victims and the victims' families and they interview other inmates and they talk to police officers and forensic. Like they go through the whole thing and look at this story. And the premise is that even somebody that we're like 100% put him to death, send him to death row, that's done. There's always more of a story there that people don't know. And it is fascinating. Like I thought it was going to be sort of that cannibalism, gruesome, like very black and white. It's not, it's very emotional. (laughs) I always leave with all kinds of mixed feelings. But one of the episodes I was watching these two kids had been doing drugs and they decided to go to a house and, they were going to rob it. So at what I think that what actually had happened is they they were at a party doing a bunch of drugs. This one guy passed out. He was the one with all the coke. They stole a bunch of coke and they, I don't know if they shut it up or smoked it or what they did, but most of it was gone. He woke up. He's like, you owe me. Mm. Take this gun and go figure it out. And so they went off to rob a house. They got to where they were going and one of the guys flipped out i think he at least claimed that he'd always had visions and thought maybe he was the Mm. child of satan and thought he had magical powers and so he decided they were going to kill the inhabitants of the house because nobody was supposed to be home but they were so it was very literally like a burglary that turned into a murder except for the fact that before they entered the house they decided to murder everybody in it so that's where that i don't know how you'd corroborate that statistic right. but very 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 unlikely that anyone will break into your house at all so did you happen to run across um because that got me to thinking about something that happened here a few years ago a little bit north where a couple of kids teenagers broke into a guy's house and he heard them and he went downstairs and shot them yes and then, uh, because he's a sadistic asshole, yes, left them to die, came back downstairs. He's a 16-year-old and a 17-year-old, a boy and a girl, right? Yep. yep. Finished him off. Yes. So how many people get killed while trying to burgle or rob a home? So I didn't look up that statistic, although I did read that exact story, um, because he is now on trial for murder. About fucking time. Yeah. So they, No, they let him go. Yeah. They weren't going to charge him. They were right. doing the whole, they... Like, Stand your ground. Well, so we don't have that here. No. Um, or but no. the castle doctrine or whatever. Whatever, but... There was somehow recording of him going back down and finishing them off. Right. And and this all came out immediately. It was right around Thanksgiving. One of Jeff's aunt and uncles live in the town that this all happened in. So we were hearing all about yeah. it. And yeah, like there is all of this tape. And the police are like, we don't have any evidence. And everybody in the state's like. What else? Like, yeah. like the yeah. whole state did that noise. Yeah. <laughs> So, so good, he, about time, because it's been several years. He is. Well, and one of the things that they are planning on bringing up as evidence is that even if there is law, like in Texas, for example, in Florida, like that whole stand your ground, like castle doctrine thing, mm. if you come in my property, I have permission to shoot you right. to protect my home, um, that 
there are still exceptions to it, like laying in wait. And and he violated a bunch of those in addition right. to like mur- killing, shooting people at all when you're not being threatened is not self-defense. Like, no, I mean, I could see, again, I am not okay with guns. I am not generally okay with castle doctrines, all of that sort of thing. Like there, there are some problems there, but like this guy heard them. Right. He, if you're scared. Right. And he, and he certainly could have been. I don't right. know him. But shoot it him in the kneecap, like... call the cops. Yeah. And he didn't. He shot to kill. He left them there, went and had a snack or some shit. Right. And then went downstairs like, oh, you're not dead. Finish them off. And I don't think called the police for hours, a day. Yeah. I don't remember what it was. Like, yeah. it was all malicious it was they weren't threatening you at that point they were bleeding out in your basement well right right and you i mean if you if you hurt if you kill somebody in self defense or hurt somebody in self like that's a good time to call the police if you're innocent call the police right these people were in my house i thought they were going to hurt me even I though they were i shot them in the children. kneecap i shot them they're not dead Come get them. Come get them out of my house. Right. And I, and I in that case again, I'm not okay with guns. Like no. there's a lot of things there I'm not okay with, but I can be like, okay, reasonable. You don't when you see somebody in your home that's not supposed to be, this is not a rational time. You are not gonna right. be like, excuse me, people I don't know. Are you armed? Do you mean right. me harm? Right. Like, if you are inclined to, you know, pop a cap in somebody's ass. <laughs> But if if you are inclined to shoot at somebody who is invading your home, yeah, okay, not a choice I would make, but okay. And I don't think the police would have blinked, really. No, I think I think if it had ended there, except that it sound, the one article I was reading about it, and I just skimmed through it because it was not the the tilt I wanted to go, right? Um, but the one article was talking about, like, there was some stuff that happened before he shot them the first time as well that was, it made it sound like a little bit more like baiting them or. Yeah. No, like he he's was, a complete piece of shit. Yeah. No, he's a complete piece of shit. Um, and I'm glad he's finally getting his comeuppance. I, I hope he's convicted. Right. But, yeah, no. If somebody's in your house and you want to wound them, go ahead and do that and then call the cops. Right. Immediately. Right. Not a day later or whatever it was. Right. I yeah. If they're in the house and they don't know you're there, leave the house and call the cops. Right. Don't get involved at all. Right. So anyway. Uh the other thing that I was gonna tell you about burglaries is that actually or robberies, either one, home invasion robberies generally occur during working hours. So like ten to three is a very popular time for robberies because there is really? less likely to be someone in the home. Middle of the night, someone is in the home. Right. They're yeah. sleeping there. That's what they do. Right. It's kinda of what we use our houses for. Right. <laughs> so while we have this image of like the thieves are always out at night hiding in the bushes and sneaking in the shadow they're not. I'm pretty sure that's every ADT commercial. <laughs> right. Right. No, it totally is. They're not. They're there when you are at work. Well, I work from home, so haha on you people. Well, <laughs> it's true. And while they are likely to come in your house, they are likely to not be armed. And if they are armed, they're likely to not hurt you. And if they do hurt you, you probably knew them. Yep. So I think you're pretty safe from that one. Rock on. Right? Pretty excited about that. So, Diana, do you have a story for me? I do have a story for you. Um, so ready. So this is a story I've been thinking about covering, and then I 
thought about how unlikely it is because it's very, 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 very unlikely. But I was telling you about this a little earlier. I remembered this all wrong. Yes. Well, you've been dropping hints about this one. You tried yesterday or Wednesday to be like, I think we should lift the ban on not telling each other our story. I know. So I can I talk wanna, to you about the story. I want to talk about some things. Uh, we're not going to lift the ban. No, it's not. I, I didn't let her, guys. I was strong. No, but I mentioned this to a couple of people like, oh, I'm going to talk about, do you remember yes. when this happened? Yeah. And they all said the same thing, which is what I had thought. And then right. I looked into it totally wrong. Is it that like everyone thought it was one way and they later discovered it was another or is it like glitch in the matrix like we all thought fruit loops was spelled with whatever berenstain bears or whatever it's berenstain (laughs) (laughs) obviously obviously um no i think it is the two facts that anybody knows about this particular place and they merge them into a story oh okay 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 well, now I just need to know. All righty. You ready? I'm ready. Michael Peter Fay was born on May 30th, 1975, making him 53 days younger than me and way older than you. Way older than <laughs> me. Like ancient compared to me. He was born in St. Louis, Missouri to Randy and George Fay, and they divorced when he was eight. As a child, he was diagnosed with ADHD, which may come into play later. Mm-hmm. After the divorce, Michael mostly lived with his father in Dayton, Ohio, um, but he moved to Singapore in 1992 to live with his mother and stepfather, and he attended Singapore American School. Cool. So a word about Singapore. Singapore is a city-state in Southeast Asia, 85 miles north of the equator. It's a former British colony, and as a former British colony, it has a legal system that's based on English common law, but it has some very substantial differences. There's no trial by jury that was abolished in the 70s. So you just get guilty or just the judge? Just the judge. Uh, There is capital punishment. There's a lot of capital punishment. There are some very, very strict laws. Right. I've been to Singapore. Yeah. Chewing gum is a law, right? Oh, so not really. Okay. Um, what people think is that chewing gum is entirely illegal in Singapore. Right. It's not. It's not readily available to people that live there. Um, I believe you still need a prescription if you would like to have chewing gum. A prescription. A prescription. Because there are some valid yeah, uses no, for Yeah, no, there it. are. Yeah. But when when I went to Singapore, that's what everybody says. Like, oh, you can't bring any chewing gum. And I sometimes have some in my work bag. Right. And I took it out <laughs> just in right, case. Just in case. And it turns out, like, they're fine with it. Just don't throw it on the ground. Singapore is beautiful. Yeah. It is so clean. Yeah. When I, the first time it came up that I was going to go to Singapore, because we have an office there. So that's right. why I've been was right, for work. Right, right. The first time it came up that I might get to go there a couple of years ago, uh, it was brought up in a team meeting and my boss said we might need to do a thing in Singapore wants to go. And I was like, oh, me, 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 right, me, me, right. me, 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 me. And she's like, I don't know. Singapore's pretty strict. <laughs> you might create an incident. You're a troublemaker. You're, yeah, we know yeah. you. And I was like, so here's the thing. Singapore is all about order and cleanliness. Yes. That is my jam. Right. (laughs) They have rules and policies. Right. And they follow them. And it's all, they they have a president. He is the son of the last president. There have only been the two of them. Right. But they're fairly benevolent. They really, um, there are four major racial groups. They want to make sure that there is harmony between the racial groups. There is a lot of equality. And there are a lot of laws and there are a lot of rules. 
But the general feeling is we're doing this for everyone. Mm -hmm. This is the way we want a model society. Here's how we think we build it. And for the most part, they're very successful. That's cool, though. So Singapore is beautiful. It's clean. It's got a desired culture very firmly in mind. And it works very hard to maintain that culture in a way that includes all four of their cultural groups and is economically beneficial to the nation. (laughs) I wonder what that's like. Everyone living in harmony and... Well, and it's not all harmony. You know, it's interesting to go out with folks that live in Singapore and hear them talk about what they perceive to be the problems with their government and their society and all of that. And it was just, it's so interesting to compare with, here's what I think the problems are in the American system. And, you know, nobody's happy with their government is what it fucking comes down to. (laughs) That is, But, But yeah, living in Singapore, my biggest problem with Singapore, I spent three weeks there last year. And the only thing I could think of, because it is, it is beautiful, it is clean, it, like, it's got good food, <laughs> it's right. got many of the things that I want. What it doesn't ever have is a, a cool breeze. I was going to say, it's hot. It is hot as fuck. Yeah. It is always hot. It is so hot. Oh my God, you guys, I cannot express how hot it is. <laughs> so hot. <laughs> so hot. And the whole time I was there, I kept thinking, like, nobody here ever sleeps with their window open and has a nice breeze come in. Yeah. Like, that is what I kept thinking. Like, y'all don't know what you're missing. Right. <laughs> you don't even know. It could be so nice. It is so fucking hot here. <laughs> and it's always just pot. So, according to Wikipedia, Singapore's unique combination of a strong, almost authoritarian government with an emphasis on merit... Oh, Lord. Meritocracy? Oh, Okay. I don't know why I think there's been extra syllable in there, but meritocracy and good governance is known as the Singapore model and is regarded as a key factor behind Singapore's political stability, economic growth, and a harmonious social order. Cool. It is so clean there. Also, everything is a mall in Singapore. Everything is a mall. (laughs) (laughs) I sometimes feel like that here. Oh, no. Uh, So my hotel was attached to at least two malls. Our office is in a conference center, but it, really seemed more like a mall orchard road which is the main drag 22 different malls along orchard road everything is a fucking mall wow so because it is did i mention hot as balls hot as balls when i would go wandering around after i was done teaching for the night i was mostly wandering out inside because it's so hot right and I also can't get anywhere by myself. So I'd wander around whatever mall I had picked for that evening. Right, right. And I was coming up the stairs to the one that was attached to my hotel one night. And there was like a leaf on the stairs. I was like, what the hell? I'm falling down on the job here. <laughs> there is a leaf. Someone needs to Excuse address me, this sir, issue. Sir? <laughs> I'd like to file a formal complaint. Right. Like It was just... It's funny how you get used to it. Like here, I don't think about that. Of course, no, there's a leaf. It's fall. That's how it is. And yeah, like I'd been there for a couple of weeks at that point. I'm like, what the? There's a leaf. <laughs> <laughs> we have a scandal. Oh my gosh. So crime rates in Singapore are among the lowest in the world. Crime affects 12.72 per 100,000 people in Singapore. And that's compared to 55.84 per 100,000 in the US. So that is... Uh, even with my poor math skills, almost five times, more than four times. And most of that is nonviolent crime. Right. And even within that nonviolent crime, uh, most of it is e-commerce scams and e-commerce cheating. Oh, okay. That kind of thing. So, so like, I mean, not that that's nothing. People get right. hurt. Right. But, but yeah, like they're, 
they're not out beating people on the street. Not a whole lot of burglaries. Not a whole lot of robberies. No. And, you no know. cannibals. I don't know. I didn't look into that. But <laughs> um, when I was in Singapore, and I travel alone usually for business, and there were certainly people there that I knew. Right. But I wandered all over the place. I was out at night. I was. Right. I was out in, you know, some of the ethnic neighborhoods by myself. I never was worried. It right. just wasn't. Um, it's very safe. It's. It's very safe. Yeah. So it was notable that there was a large spike in vandalism and stolen state property crime in October of 1993. The Straits Times, which is one of the Singapore newspapers, ran stories about car vandalism in Singapore. Cars were being damaged with hot tar, paint remover, and hatchets. (gasps) Taxi tires were being slashed. In the city center, cars were found with deep scratches and dents. One person took red spray paint to six cars in a garage off Orchard Lane, where there are 22 malls. Right. And the next night sprayed a line of red paint right through the official seal of a judge's car. (gasps) Bad move. Yeah. You you don't get a whole jury, dude. That's the person who's going to put you in jail. Right. So the Singapore police eventually arrested 16-year-old Andy Shu Chi Ho, and after questioning him, they also questioned several students at the Singapore American School, including mm. Michael Fay, and charged the lot of them with more than 50 counts of vandalism. Yikes. That can't be good. If you never punish anybody for any of that because it never happens, I just feel like it's going to be really bad when it does. So here's the thing about Singapore. They have very harsh punishments. Right. And they consider that one of the reasons they have very little crime is because if you commit a crime, you're fucked. Right. Like you are in trouble. Even if you're a kid? Absolutely. Okay. And this guy wasn't a kid. He was 18. Oh, which is interesting because, uh, again, he is my age and they talk about how he returns to the States in 1994 to finish high school. And I was like, motherfucker, I was done for a year. What were you doing? Yeah. <laughs> Michael Fay pleaded guilty to vandalizing cars in addition to stealing road signs. And he was sentenced under the 1966 Vandalism Act, which was passed to curb the spread of graffiti and specifically penalizes vandalism of government property like road signs he was sentenced on march 3rd 1994 to four months in jail a fine of 3500 singapore dollars which at that time was about uh 2230 us okay and six strokes of the cane oh so caning is a widely used legal form of corporal punishment in several former british colonies in asia including singapore okay There are several contexts of caning in Singapore, judicial, prison, reformatory, military, school, and domestic or private. Okay. So pretty much everywhere. Yes. Except like in a movie theater. I mean, if you bring your own cane, Mm. which they do sell in the drugstores. For caning? Yeah, your children. Wow. Mm Mm-hmm. I mean, I guess if caning your children is like the thing to do, and it might also be how they get punished as adults, you got to get the cane from somewhere. Right. So interestingly, um, when I was reading about caning, and we'll talk more about that in a second here, they were saying that this is a a widely used form of punishment, not only judicially, which is what we're going to talk about, but it's used like if you're already in prison, you get in trouble, they'll cane you. Right. They have some laws that if you are an employee and you commit some malfeasance against the organization, you're boss can cane you 
Um, so there is there are all sorts of ways that you can get caned in Singapore, but then the government's like, but don't hit your kids. That's not cool. Okay. Mm-hmm. But they do sell canes like in drugstores. So what what does a caning cane look like? So is it like a switch? Um, I don't think it's that flexible. So let me get let me get there. There's okay. some other stuff I want you to know about caning first. Of the different kinds of caning, judicial caning is the most severe and it comes with some restrictions. Okay. It can only be applied to male convicts between the ages of 18 and 50 who have certified to be in a fit state of health by a medical officer. So, I mean, that seems fair, although sexist. Right. If the offender is under 18 years of age, he can be sentenced to up to 10 strokes of the cane, but a lighter cane will be used than that, than that for adults. No more than 24 strokes of the cane can be sentenced in a single trial, but a convict may be sentenced to more than 24 strokes if there were multiple trials, but only 24 strokes can be administered at one time. Okay. Okay. Some, so I get in trouble in a bunch of different places or a bunch of different whatever. Right. And you have to have separate trials. Right. You can be Each sentenced. Each judge can give me 24, but I can't have them all at the same time. Right. You can't have them. Back can't back. just get it done. Right. Someone who is sentenced to death cannot be caned. I mean, that seems fair. Yeah. Beat them right quick. <laughs> right. The cane is made of rattan and it cannot exceed 1.27 centimeters in diameter. And that's about half an inch. Okay. Caning is generally administered in addition to a jail sentence and not as a punishment by itself. Okay. The offender is not told until the day of the caning that it's going to happen. <laughs> so it's really it's really a mind game. It is a mind fuck. Um, every caning must be attended by a medical officer and the superintendent of prisons. The caning wow. officer has been carefully selected and trained for that job. They are generally very fit and robustly built, and they often hold high grades in the martial arts, although that is not mandatory. They are trained to use their entire body weight behind every stroke, which induces as much pain as possible. Holy shit. This is a long rattan stick. Right, and you're going to swing it with all your might. All of your might. So they are trained... To swing, not just using their arms like you and I would, because we're amateurs, right. but with the weight of their entire body. How does this not crush bones? Just because it's little and yeah, probably. slightly I mean, flexible. It's half, and... You know, half, but it, it hurts you. I feel like it would break bones. Right. So there was, um, later on, when we get to the press part, they talk about how there had been a story in the 70s about somebody who got cane and they talked about chunks of flesh were flying everywhere and the blood was flowing it doesn't it fucks you right. up it cuts you it hurts there's some blood it there's can scar right um and there's some scarring right or there there can be some scarring that's crazy i yeah i know we put people to death we put them in these little tiny rooms where they hurt each other like we do lots of terrible shit, and somehow this seems so barbaric. Well, right, and that that will come into play in a little bit. So, as you can imagine, this sentencing to caning caused quite the kerfluffle in the United States. Right. The New York Times, the Washington Post, and the LA Times all ran editorials and op-eds condemning the punishment. 
The U.S. government released a statement that it recognized Singapore's right to punish Faye within due process of the law, but that the punishment of caning was excessive for a teenager who committed a nonviolent crime. The United States Embassy in Singapore noted that the graffiti could be removed, but that caning would leave permanent scars. Even the president got involved. Bill Clinton called Faye's punishment extreme and mistaken and pressured the Singapore government to grant Faye clemency from caning. 24 U.S. senators signed a letter to the government of Singapore appealing for clemency. The Straits Times criticized interference by the United States government and pointed out that Singaporean citizens face the same punishment as Faye. Right. Eventually, the Singapore government caved and they reduced the caning from six strokes to four. Faye was caned on May 5th, 1994 at Queenstown Remand Center and was released from prison in June of 1994. After his release from prison, Michael Faye returned to the U.S. to live with his father in Kettering, Ohio. Hey, Trix, if you're listening, we know where that is. (laughs) And gave, uh, so when I lived in Ohio, we lived in Centerville, which is right by Kettering. Oh, okay. We knew people in Kettering. Um, After his release from prison, Michael Faye returned to the U.S. to live with his father and gave several interviews. In these interviews, he admitted to taking road signs, but denied vandalizing cars. He said that he'd pleaded guilty to that because he was told that he would be spared caning in that instance and that he was coerced into making a confession. Legal scholars have since pointed out that he would have been eligible for caning even if he were only found guilty of sign stealing. So, right. Well, and it's probably pretty easy to say that and and have most people believe you. Like this country that... That beats you. Right, that's you. barbaric and beats you. They and made me confess to things I didn't do. Right, they were horrible to me. Right. Um, one of the things I read, too, when I was looking at Singapore is it is one of the least corrupt countries in the world. It is very right. high in marks on transparency. Right. Like, the fact of the matter is they just punish a lot of shit by caning. Right. And this guy committed crimes, which in Singapore, you don't do. Right. Everybody knows that. Don't do it. Don't do it. Especially stupid, dumb shit just to piss people off. Like right. That- Right. There is no leniency in that case. You are always made an example of. Right. So um, the other thing that one of the articles mentioned, and even that this guy said in an interview once he got back to the States was, you know, they talked about like, are you, you know, are you scared? Are you blah, blah, blah. Right. And he's like, you know, I like it bled, but it was like a gush. It was more like a nosebleed. Right. And it noted that the next day when he met with some officials, he sat down comfortably. Right. Like, he wasn't that hurt. So where do they cane? Back of the legs? The back. Backs. Okay. Back. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But what I also did read is that, like, he was in a psychiatric hospital before this. Like, he was very fucked up mentally over the fact that he was about to get smacked around. Wow. And I certainly don't think I could condone the caning. However... It's one of those situations where, like, before you committed the crime, you knew what the consequences were. And it's not like Singapore is quiet about... Right. It wasn't a secret. You, no. You knew is, what you did. You knew what... It is a strict company, country with strict rules. You did shit. You did shit to government property, which they take very seriously. Right. And... Did you think you were just going to get away with it forever? Yeah, because he's a little entitled American shithead. Right. Right. Several months after his return to the U.S., Faye suffered burns to his hands and face after a butane incident and was subsequently admitted to Hazleton, right here in beautiful Minnesota, for butane abuse. Uh. He says he picked up that habit as a result of having been caned. 
So, yeah, no. Okay. <laughs> he was real whiny about the whole thing. I, I'm so torn about the caning thing. Because on the one hand, when you said that they punish people really severely, I was expecting a whole lot more than a little bit of prison time, a pretty small fine. Yeah. And then you get hit a couple times. Because even though that sucks, and I'm sure that there is, like, I don't think it's a good thing to do. And I'm sure that there is a big, like, emotional like humiliation aspect to it sure especially when the country like your home country is like you can't do this and it doesn't work and you don't get out of it well it raised such a stink that now everybody knows him as the guy that was caned right you could have he could have just shut up taken it right come home well but and now he so i guess my my thought about that is like you hurt for a day or two and then I mean, it's, it's, it's probably more than that. They do talk about, you know, there can be scarring. And I'm sure that's very individual. Right. I scar if you look at me hard. I'd probably right. scar from something like that. I don't know what this guy's like. But still, like, it's not... Getting hit four times would hurt. Yeah. It'd be humiliating. Yeah. But it's like four times. Right. And then it's done. And he didn't even require medical treatment afterwards. He sat comfortably the next day. Right. Like... Which doesn't make it more okay, but if it, like you can't just use that as your excuse for everything for the rest of your life. Well, right. Somebody hit me four times once. Right. And the, the, even the other thing, like, where he was in the psychiatric hospital beforehand and, you know, talked about, like, he started abusing substances because he was all messed up over this caning. Okay. But you... I don't know. When you live with somebody who is prone to smacking somebody, you live every day knowing that you could be hit at some future point and not know when. Right. And so the fact that this guy is so messed up over the fact that he's going to be corporally punished at some point within the next four months, but he doesn't know the exact day, tells me that he was not, he was a privileged kid that had never actually suffered consequences for his actions. Right. And, and it would be super, so I almost feel like I'd feel more sorry for him if he came home, had a substance abuse problem, was like, because this has totally changed my life and become the one thing that I am defined by. Right. I am having trouble coping. Not right. somebody hit me four times once and now. <laughs> or I knew somebody was going to hit me four times. Right. I mean, I'm pretty sure somebody's going to hit me four times in my life again. (laughs) And you don't know which day. I don't want to make light of it. I don't even know by whom. No, it's not okay. But like this kid was not terribly resilient. No. He wasn't. I I don't know. You don't want to make fun of the victim. But he could have handled this in a lot better way. He was a grown up. He was over 18. He had not even graduated high school yet. Right. Like this was not a kid that was. I don't know. Yeah. He just seems very drama. Right. Like like he likes for that to still be the thing. Yeah. I mean, he still talks about it. Right. But again, you know, also how much of that is that he's going around to everybody at work and be like, you know what I did? Got keen in Singapore. Right. And how much of it is that every five years somebody's like, wonder what happened to that kid who got keen in Singapore? And right. they hunt him up and he does an interview because why the hell not? Right. So anyway, several months after his return to the U.S., he suffered these burns uh, after a butane incident. He was admitted to Hazelden for butane abuse. 
In future years, he was cited for a number of violations, mostly vehicle-related. Arrested for possession of marijuana, which is a bullshit charge. (laughs) And drug paraphernalia. I'm sorry. I can't get excited about getting busted for pot. He did confess to those crimes, but he was acquitted on a technicality. (laughs) Okay. I'm actually okay with that. (laughs) Busting Eh. people for pot's a bullshit crime. And did that... Was that the one that he got acquitted, not the like traffic violations and all that. you know the traffic violations he didn't do any time or anything it seemed like there were some fees and it was low level shit gotcha. not like major DUI or oh no not at all okay you know you know i don't even remember i didn't even write it down because it was so boring <laughs> but it was but so it, he was going like 25 and a 15 right yeah a little reckless you know right just a tiny bit reckless <laughs> but yeah no just pretty boring stuff but you know they kept a really close eye on him right so um since that that pop bust, he has mostly stayed out of trouble, as far as anybody can tell. No criminal records found after 1998. He eventually moved to Florida to attend college. He worked as a server in Disney-related restaurants there. He was eventually promoted to supervisor and then to senior trainer. In 2005, he returned to school to complete his bachelor's in hospitality administration and management at the University of Central Florida. The most recent reports, which were from earlier this year, show that he's a slot operations manager at the Jack Cincinnati, which is a casino in Ohio, where he oversees 2,000 machines as well as 70 employees. I mean, it sounds like he has turned his life around somewhat. The article I saw, let's see if I wrote it down here, was 24 years after his caning, Michael Fay has a beard and is a casino manager. (laughs) Has a beard. He's got a good beard. <laughs> but does he have caning scars? That I don't know. Hmm. That I don't know. Uh, I don't know if he's whipping off his shirt in front of all the reporters. Right. So I know what you're asking here. If I have to go back to work in Singapore, how likely is it that I'm going to get caned? I am concerned. Because while I... I'm saying all of this stuff about you're just going to get hit four times one time. Like, I also don't want to get caned. Right. Um, And, you know, I'm probably not going to steal government property, but I do get lippy. <laughs> I'm totally not going to do either of those things. <laughs> I don't like confrontation. You're a much nicer human than I am. <laughs> or or scared. I One of those things. It all works out. So, first of all, if you don't go to Singapore, your chances are really low. Um, yeah. Also stay out of Malaysia and Brunei. You're pretty well good to go. Right, right. Between 2006 and 2016, which were the last 10 years for which data is available, yep. there have been 32,753 canings in Singapore. Okay. That's not terrible. It's not terrible. And that number is a tiny bit low. About half of those years have incomplete data. They'll have data from like January to September or January to October. And it, like at some point in the year, they're just like, fuck it. We're not counting anymore. Right. <laughs> couldn't, couldn't quite and figure out what that was all about. We got tired of that. and Right. That seems like a lot of numbers. We're just, right. we're not. And really, who cares? Right. Uh, and I don't want to inflate anything. Maybe they just don't cane in the off season. Right. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> That's how many canings they could process. And then they gave the judges a long holiday. Right. Or um, they gave that one poor prison superintendent a long holiday. Right. <laughs> Maybe. So I don't want to inflate any numbers, so we're going to go with this 32,753. There are about 5.6 million people living in Singapore. So that makes the average person in Singapore have a 1 in 1,713 chance of being caned in Singapore. Uh, 
There are about 7.442 billion people in the world right now. And I had to look this up because I remember my seventh grade history teacher, Mr. Johnson, talking about how we just reached a huge population number. Yeah. This would have been 1987. Yeah. We reached 5 billion. Holy shit. That's fucking crazy. Tyler, do you hear this? We don't actually need to have extra babies just for the sake of population. No, no, no. We're doing fine. Right. We're good. So, 7.442 billion people in the world right now, which means that you have an overall chance of being a human being caned in Singapore, is 1 in 2,272,158. I'm feeling pretty good about that. Yeah. Especially since I don't have any travel plans to Singapore, but also... If there were 2 million people, I feel like there's a pretty good chance I'm not the one going to get caned. Right. I could probably keep a low profile. Yeah. So, also, I wonder how many of those are repeat offenders that are getting caned again. Because if you were saying that it can be a punishment for doing bad things while you're already in prison. Right. And so I'm assuming those are in that number. No, those are separate. Those are... Oh, okay. um, those are considered a different kind. These are just judi- judicial canings, which oh, okay. are as a form of punishment. Um, being caned while you're incarcerated is a different category. Still, I would be willing to bet that a lot of those are, I was caned in 1998 and then again in 2003. Maybe. And... They didn't talk about the recidivism right. rate and, and all of that sort of thing. But um, if you have a chance to go to Singapore, you should. It's pretty fascinating i did not have much of a desire to go to asia like at all right and i spent three weeks there and like it was great i would go back if the chance arose now i'm interested in seeing more of asia yeah Uh, my boss at the time when i went i remember telling me he'd been to several places in asia and he said to me you're gonna like singapore like it's your kind of place which it totally was and he said it's like it's asia light like it's a it's really Asian good, light. it's a good introduction to Asia. It's right. fairly westernized. It's fairly modern. Right. Everything is in English because that's one of their official languages. So it's very right. easy to get around. Um, and as long as you don't eat durian in the subway, you're probably not going to get into trouble. Don't eat durian in the subway. Fair. I, I don't eat anything in a subway. Do even you here. sure as shit don't in Singapore. Right. No. I'm, <laughs> but even here, like I'm just not real tempted by that. <laughs> Also, I'm very rarely on a subway. <laughs> I was going to say, I was on a subway earlier this week, and I I didn't eat anything, but I definitely had a Starbucks with me. Well, I feel like that's different. <laughs> oh, you don't bring those on the train Singapore either. Oh, no. No eating, no drinking, no littering, nothing. Nothing. So what I was telling you when I mentioned to people that I was going to cover the caning in Singapore, what all of them said was like, oh, yeah, that kid that threw his gum on the ground. That is exactly what I thought your story was going to be about. Right. And that's not at all what it was. So at the time, because I remember when this happened, obviously, um, at the time, I think what happened is people conflated the two. So there was this caning in Singapore. There was a big kerfluffle about it. It was all over the news. It was an American kid. It was an American kid. It wasn't that big of a deal. Like what he did. Well, right. But at the same time, I mean, this is when a lot of Americans, I think, really first learned anything about Singapore. And what they learned is you can't chew gum in Singapore. Right. And over the last 20 years, that has merged in people's minds. So that literally every single person I talked to was like, oh, yeah, that kid that threw his gum on the ground. Right. Not at all what happened. Huh. So I definitely have heard and maybe even have told the gum on the ground story. Yeah. Don't know if I ever 100% believed that it, you know, that that is literally what happened. Mm -hmm. 
but no, I definitely always thought there was a story about a kid, an American kid who got in trouble yep. for it. How funny yeah, is that? Yeah, no, it's not that. Uh, there is one place in Singapore that you can throw something on the ground. Uh-huh. It is the Long Bar at Raffles, the home of the Singapore Sling. Okay. <laughs> and it's a peanut bar. Oh, okay. So you can throw the peanut shells on the ground. Uh, and I've been in the Long Bar. Uh, I think if you go to my LinkedIn, that is still the picture that's there, although I tried to cut out the Singapore Sling. <laughs> and... I do this at home too. Peanut bars, like I can't just throw shit on the floor. That's not okay. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, even in Singapore, I'm like, I know I should be taking advantage of this opportunity. This is <laughs> the only time it is, is acceptable, right? But like, I just, I, I don't litter. <laughs> like, right. That's not a thing I do. <laughs> I was at the bus stop yesterday, which is like the only time I've ridden the bus in home in forever. Um, and I watched this guy. And he unwrapped his granola bar or whatever. It was super windy and super cold. Although I hear it gets a lot colder. And he Mike. just let go of the wrapper and the it flew away. And I was like, did he have a little stroke? <laughs> like, <laughs> I don't understand what you just did. There were there was a yelling conversation going on um, like down the street one way and then on the opposite. So like he was in between this like yelling conversation that was going on about whether the bus that was coming was the 14 or the three. <laughs> and <laughs> so all eyes were turned in that direction and he just casual as can be dropped that wrapper and I just watched it flutter and I was so stunned. <laughs> Who does that? Right. He was standing within... 10 feet of two trash cans and he just let it go and then ate his granola bar like it was nothing i mean i've definitely had something fly out of my hand and i can't chase it down because i'm a fat woman who doesn't run well well or like (laughs) a couple times receipts in parking lots and then they're under somebody's car and right right yeah you go digging for your keys really bad bad. i've never never just dropped something and people do it out of their cars and I think they think because no one can look at them in the eye like right that it's okay and that makes me mad yeah but I don't know that I've ever seen anyone do that I, and see, what this a funny is wh- crime this is where you're a nicer person because I would have seen them and like what the fuck did you just do I <laughs> well so but here's why I did not a conflict B, I was stunned. Yeah, and I suppose. <laughs> C, I try to keep a really low profile at that bus stop. Well, all right. All legit. Right. All legit, but still. Oh, my gosh. Ooh. <sighs> so do you want to hear how my true crime knowledge came into play during my trip to New York? Yes. <laughs> so... Uh, I went to New York this week. She did, guys. She had such a blast. Such a blast. I have pictures of Diana where the joy on her face like just <laughs> makes you happy from across the room. I will. Uh, I have a website. Do you know that? I knew that you had like several blogs. Oh, you said that before. Not anymore. I have a, I have a web, dianaseekon.com. Um, where I post, <laughs> go there right now. Where I post travel stuff, but I haven't been gotcha. traveling lately, so there's nothing there. So I'm gonna actually post uh, my New York stuff. But one of the things we did, we were only there, literally there for like 48 hours, period. Mm-hmm. And one of the things we did, my I went with my sister, and we went to Central Park, and I hired a pedicab, which I felt super weird about because I always think that they're like weird slavery. 
but they're elect like they're motorized so I felt better about it he was just a tour guide because I'm looking at the pedicab and the guy could tell that I'm thinking in my head like I can't pay a guy to haul my fat ass around in one of those right <laughs> and he's like they're right. they're motorized ma'am and I was like oh yes okay let's do this right right so we we took the the pedicab around and like we saw the friends fountain and we saw the lake and we went to strawberry fields and lauren is of course a huge beatles fan and i did not realize this but the dakota is directly across the street from strawberry fields it's the the entrance you can see it from there right so we saw the imagine Uh uh-huh thing in the ground thing <laughs> that that thing thing and then we went across and our our tour guide pointed to the building he said do you know what that building is i'm like yeah well that's that's the dakota and he said well you know who lived there i'm like a fuck ton of people that but that's where john lennon got murdered right and he's like right and and you know how it happened and i so i did i'm like so what happened was and i went through the whole <laughs> thing and he's like whoa you must be really into the beatles i was like uh no, no. It's the murder part I was interested in. I love the Beatles, but but so yeah, he he listened to the whole thing. He's like, I did not know a lot of that. Now I get to know that. <laughs> like, now, now I get to use that. I'm like, yes, please do. Here are my sources. And Diane is pulling out printed sources from her pocket. It was She's carrying around just in case. It was another podcast. If you want to hear about Mark David Chapman, last podcast on the left did a two parter earlier this year. Oh, yeah. so so much more fucked up than you think he's gonna be really oh my god so fucked up cool yeah you're such a crime nerd oh my god so hard (laughs) we were at the mall today and (laughs) diana's buying a dress and two dresses. what did she say? Two, two dresses, dresses and an alpaca shirt thank you yes it's true <laughs> what did she actually say i don't know um, do you have something? Or do you do- oh, it was the, it's whatever they're, um, it was at Torrid and it, sometimes when you spend so much, they give you a coupon. So if you come back. Oh, right. Do you have something bucks? Hot, hot, hot bucks? Hot buck, hot buck, something like that. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I don't hear well, which I don't know if you all know, but now you do. I don't hear well. You've said it at least three times in that exact same way on the podcast. I don't have know if I? you guys know this, but. <laughs> I also don't remember shit. <laughs> um, it's because you're old. But what I heard her say was, do you have a podcast? And I was like, yes, I do. I do, in fact. <laughs> have, Are you a fan? With her. <laughs> She's like, wait, what? And I'm like, what are you asking me? <laughs> do you have hot pucks? And I'm like, no, but I have a podcast. <laughs> it was kind of amazing. It was pretty great. <laughs> Uh, so Diana, do we have any shout outs this week? We do. Yay! So first up, Crime Crazy is sponsored by M. Gillum. Woohoo! Also, M, you need to come visit because you are the only sponsor that one of us has not met. This is true. <laughs> this is true. Uh, so anywho, come to visit, M. We'd love to meet you. It's a little cold here right now. Just FYI. Wait till the spring. I don't remember where you live, but I feel like it's cold here. Yeah, it will be soon. Elizabeth Wilder. Woohoo! And Dave Hatt, who gave us a great idea for some bonus content. Woohoo! Thanks, Dave. We always want to extend a special thank you to our Patreon supporters. 
If you'd like to support Crime Crazy, please check out our Patreon. Go to patreon.com slash crimecrazypod or search for Crime Crazy Podcast. All patrons get a monthly shout out on the show and all sponsors who support Crime Crazy through Patreon at the $10 per month level or above get a weekly shout out. Thank you. You guys are awesome. We love you. We also have a shout out for a new review. <gasps> Yay. Yay. Is we- this one? Wait, is this one a good one? It is. Okay, good. Is it a five star one? It is. Because we like those the best. We do. <laughs> so this was left by Lib Scoot, a lovely five star review. Thank you so much. Thanks, Trish. If you'd like to receive a shout out, please rate and review us on iTunes or your podcast catcher of choice. We give shout outs for all reviews. But we like the five star ones the best. Yeah, we do. You can follow Crime Crazy on Facebook. We're at facebook.com slash crimecrazypod. And from there, you can catch up on the conversation in one of two Facebook groups. Anywho, we've got two groups, the public and the private. So if you don't mind everybody knowing how freaky you are, the public, if you don't want grandma seeing it, the private is for you. You can follow Crime Crazy on Twitter. We're at crimecrazypod. On Instagram at crimecrazypod. Visit our website at crimecrazypodcast.com where Erin has been adding awesome show notes. Woohoo! Although, um, incomplete ones, because pretty much just mine. Uh, I gotta get on that. <laughs> well, it, it helps when I'm the one that's, like, writing it all. <laughs> it, do, it does. Or email us at crimecrazypodcast at gmail.com. You can follow us individually on Twitter. You're at... Aaron Plyme. And I'm at Diana underscore Seacon. Or Instagram. You're at... Eplyme. And I'm at... Diana underscore Seacon. <laughs> <laughs> Long pause for spec for effect. It's because I haven't updated my sheets. So it actually still says the same <laughs> one. I have to think about it. All right. So I think that covers that. Um, but Diana, do you have any advice for us this week? I do. Okay, good. I'm ready. Consider the source. Yeah. Yeah. If a convicted felon in the jail cell next to you tells you that some guy has a bunch of money in a safe, like double check on that. Right. I mean, you already know this guy not reliable. Like, right. he's, he's doing something bad somewhere. Probably. I mean, there are the, you know, falsely imprisoned and, and that sort of thing. But There are. And yet. And yet, they are in the... I would like to believe that they are in the minority. <laughs> well, I believe that they are. And and regardless of whether they are minority, majority, or dead even, they are not the guy in the cell next to you saying, you know, whose house would be easy to hit. Right. So consider the source. Consider the source. That's good. Call your people. Call your people. Just call them. Just call them. Right now. Just yep. say hey. Texting. Texting works. Whatever. Yeah, just make sure they're Facebook good. Facebook Messenger. Yeah. Nice Instagram private message. Got one of those today. It was nice. Yeah. 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 And don't end up on next week's episode. So you're first this week. Yeah. All right. Then I'm putting this Which is going to be interesting. We're going to try a new thing called winging it. I feel like it's not. No, it's really not. I do it a lot. <laughs> Just like last week. Mm-hmm. Stay tuned at the... No. <laughs> <laughs>